I hope all of you had a fantastic feast. We've talked about that a little bit. It's now uh, three Sabbaths uh, since the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, this, this message is one that I gave in, in Sherman on the Sabbath after the feast. And, and in some respects, I think, I think it was important to give that message then, but I, I think it's probably even, even more pertinent now to give it than it was uh, immediately after the feast because here we are way way after the feast now life's going on we're going uh we've we're back in the in the thick of things and in in all that we're doing and 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 yet at the same time we just came from a series of holy days and and a whole festival reflecting on what what's ahead for mankind and and now that we're back in it are we able to still keep that perspective of what the feast pictures. I'd like to uh, address a bit of that today as we, as we go uh, through the message. Uh, to some degree, it's, it's going to be a bit of a, a Burnett reflections on Burnett's feast. I would ask you to, as, as you've kept the feast as well, to be thinking about some of your uh, feast takeaways, your feast takeaways. What were your feast takeaways this year. I, I, and I'm talking about uh, not, not just the, the general kinds of things that, that we understand and grasp with the meaning of the days, but, but what, what did you personally take away with you? Insights that you gathered? Perspectives? Did you have any, anything that uh, represented a, a turning point for you this feast? I guess what, what triggered the, the thought uh, of this message was one passage that I read recently, as well as one message that I heard, not, not during the feast, but it was a message that I heard a minister give the Sabbath before the feast in Park City. It was Mr. Larry Solomon. He, he got up and, and he said, he said, how did he put it? He said, uh, I would like you to consider the feast as being a turning point in your life. And I kind of balked at that. Uh, I, I kind of balked because I thought, okay, I, I've thought about this. I know what the feast is all about. I know why I'm here and I'm ready. And, and I know what this life is about. And I know what we're supposed to be thinking and the perspective that we're supposed to have. And yet he's telling me, make this feast or how can you make this feast a turning point in your life? Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, Burnett's got it going on. He's got it all figured out. He knows exactly uh, what he's doing, and he's doing exactly that in his life. I, I'm not saying that, but it, it caught me for a second. You know, are there situations in my life where I need to look and, and keep my eyes open to the potential for God to take this opportunity at this feast to create in, in a sense, an awareness or a, a turning point for me uh, in, in a positive direction in something that may be just a little bit off kilter or, or, or uh, a focus maybe that's not been there to the degree that it should be. So that's what he asked us, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to some of that here in just a bit. Uh, my message is not his message today, but I want to I plant that seed today to, to ask us, in terms of our takeaways, did we come away with any turning points in our lives, any things that we recognized 
that, uh, that could be more than just, oh yeah, of course I know this way of life. Yes, I'm further committed to God's way of life and I've got to run the race till my race is over. But were there any turning points in our lives this feast? Think about that. I'd like to uh, begin by just, just talking a little bit about some of, uh, some of our personal feast experiences uh, and, and kind of based on what he had said, uh, in, in that message, the Sabbath before the feast, some, some thoughts that I had in terms of I've got to make sure that my orientation is right uh, to be able to keep the feast as God would, would intend me to do so. So one of the things that, that I tried to do this year, of course, you know, I've only told you about 600 times that we were seeing our, our grandson Jack this feast. So I, I knew that was a factor in, in coming before God and, and being at the feast also to be able to be with our, our grandson and, and, uh, and, and our family in that respect. But, but I strove to, to keep the goals simple this feast. I tried not to have too high of physical expectations of the things that we, you know, we wanted to do. We did want to do some things, but I tried to keep those uh, in, in perspective. You know, we wanted to see this, do this, go here, uh, eat this, uh, you know, my, my typical kinds of things that I like to eat, the you know, chocolate chip cookie dough. I, I just really enjoy eating that at the feast. Uh, but, you know, some, we have some little things like that, but, but I tried to keep the goals very simple, but to serve to focus on uh, the services that we kept each day as, as the, the key element of the feast of which everything else, all the other feast experiences would center on uh, the, the key of being prepared and ready and focused on each service. Uh, I, I wanted to really make an effort to say I'm going to put at the service then, at, you know, fully be into each service, but then also really, really spend time meeting with uh, God's people and, and getting to know folks. And got a chance to meet a lot of folks from that area that I, I just I don't, I don't know a lot of folks in that region. I, I know uh, quite a few from the very far Pacific Northwest, but the, the mountain region there, uh, you know, you think Colorado, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, and then on up into Utah and, and farther up north, uh, those areas, I, I just don't know a lot of the brethren there, so I, I wanted to really meet those folks and and uh, and take take in that experience of, of connecting with God's people. I wanted to relax this feast, to to just take in of the beauty around us. I am just hard pressed to to come up with many sites that uh, are as gorgeous as Park City in the fall. <laughs> it is spectacular. Uh, the mountains and and the aspens and all of that, and and just to simply strive to be appreciative while connecting with the spiritual and, and our physical family. And I, and I think we did that. Those, those were some of the takeaways, but I'd like to talk uh, about another takeaway today that impacted me in, in reflecting upon Mr. Solomon's message in, in uh, these turning points and also on this particular scripture. We'll uh, get to the scripture here in a second, but uh, bear with me as I introduce an element of this topic by reading an article. It's, uh, from, it's from the Wall Street Journal. It's an opinion piece. It's, it's a, a fairly recent article from that by a, a fellow uh, by the name of Gerard Baker. Uh, 
in, in a section called free expression. I would, I would say this person probably in terms of leanings, be it more, more liberal, more, more conservative, I would put this person on the conservative side. But bear with me as uh, I read this person's opinion piece here, uh, quite a few paragraphs, but just sit back and, and listen and, and think about this as our nation right now is talking about something that's very important to this nation. What's going to happen in these midterm elections? Is it going to turn? Is it going to turn, you know, typically whoever is in, uh, what, what's the, you know, whoever is in, in, in power presidentially, if it's more, uh, if it's Republican, that those midterm elections tend to go Democrat and vice versa, and they're talking about a, a red wave happening, uh, but, but this individual uh, is, is striving to step back, he's striving to step back and look at everything that's going on and make some comments. I, I think there are some insights, but I think there are some other thoughts that we need to consider uh, as we uh, reflect upon this article as God's people. He starts by saying, if I had to pick the most worrying characteristic of our current dystopia, I would choose the unsettling disconnect between the seriousness of the challenges we face and the public discourse that is supposed to be addressing them. A perilous war rages in Europe as a failing tyrant with nuclear weapons launches desperate new waves of cannon fodder against a nation whose defense we are financing and reinforcing. In Asia, the emerging power, uh, the emerging Chinese superpower, is in the throes of a significant economic and social upheaval that may propel it toward the full-scale confrontation it increasingly threatens with Taiwan, an island whose people we are pledged to defend. At home, we are caught in the worst of economic traps as the Federal Reserve inflicts unavoidable monetary pain to kill the surging inflation incurred by its avoidable mistake. Meanwhile, the global economy seems to be sliding into a potentially serious recession, and financial markets are eroding our wealth at a dizzying pace. But at a time when the need for quiet, calm del deliberation has never been greater, the U.S. is engaged in a conversation that sounds less like the Constitutional Convention of 1787 than the game room of a psychiatric institution. This isn't a, this isn't a partisan point, he says. Both sides are only too eager to point out the mania in the other's rhetorical obsessions, but deny the delusion in their own. So secure are they in the knowledge that their supporters will stand by whatever they say that our leaders now seem free to utter things completely at odds with reality and logic. We have a former and quite likely future Republican president who muses on national television that by merely, quote, thinking something, he can exercise authority. The Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia, who has a chance of being a leader, a leading contender for her party's presidential nomination in 2024, and who, by the way, has the same dismissive attitude towards unhelpful election results as the former president, insists that a fetal heartbeat is only a, quote, uh, a manufactured sound. When minds do seem to be focused on the challenges at hand, when, when minds do seem to be focused on the challenges at hand, the words that come out are often nonsensical babble. Uh, 
continuing. We're used to politicians bending facts and logic to fit their aims, but the problem goes well beyond political rhetoric. Our larger discourse is dominated by cultural authorities who want us to believe things that the human mind rebels against, that there is no such thing as biological sex, that the way to fight past discrimination is with present discrimination, that not punishing crime is the way to prevent crime, that words can mean whatever they tell us to mean, that they tell us that they mean. These are the nostrums of the dominant progressives in our culture, but we shouldn't kid ourselves that conservatives aren't susceptible to impossible ideas and implausible theories. That's where I said this guy is definitely a conservative as, as he's setting you know, his, his thoughts. He says, how alarmed should we be by this degradation of our public discourse? Americans, like all humans, have been through similar phases of history before, periods in which dominant delusions have shaped our culture. An important difference this time could be that modern technology has created a platform that, that elevates extreme voices at the expense of saner councils. But what is it about our current condition that seems to make so many people predisposed to believing and propagating those extreme voices? And now he comes to his, his conclusions. It's inescapable that part of the answer lies in the collapse of the traditional institutions of authority, the stability of the two-parent family, the primacy of faith in the cohesion of a wider community, not only conferred uh, an order on people's lives, but it established a larger sovereignty of truth on them, loving but firm parental leadership, the eternal verities of religion, the obligations to a wider social unit of shared values imposed a structure of, of epistemic guardrails. It's not that this structure constrained us to all believe the same things, religiously, politically, or otherwise, but it established the prior understanding that there is such a thing as a higher truth and that these higher truths mock propositions and idea, ideas that defy it. And then he finishes with that quote that we've heard quoted here uh, in different messages over the years, the quote from G.K. Chesterton, when men choose not to believe in God, uh, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They become capable of believing in anything. That, that's this man's opinion of, of where he sees the nation uh, going, the concerns that he has uh, for this nation, uh, and and his, his thoughts behind uh, the reasons why we are where we are and his worries and concerns about how we would as a nation come, come out of this. As, as you reflect on this man's article and his writings, how, how, would, you, how would you respond to that? How, how would you... Uh, would you, would you say that much of that are things with which you agree, uh, vehemently disagree? I, personally, I, I, think, I think some of his comments were, were very insightful, but I, I still believe, and as we reflect three Sabbaths after, after the feast, I still believe that uh, it misses the mark. It misses the mark of, of the issues 
that we see going on and what's behind those issues. When, when, you, when, you, when we think about these things that we just read and we think about the, the state of our nation and some of the things that are going on, and, and brethren, I, I am not going to get into the details of this, but this, this just this made tears come out of my eyes this week. I don't know if any of you saw this. This, this thing, uh, it was an NPR thing of a of uh, NPR did an interview or they did some kind of a thing where uh, it was a person who was going through an abortion and they did uh, an audio of that, that process. Uh, it, it, how many of you were aware of that? It just, it just, it, it, I just can't even begin to, to talk about the, the, the details of that. I, I read an article that, that talked about that and it's just, just so, so disturbing uh, of, of, of where we are going as a society, yet at the same time we can step back and we can think, well, yeah, they used to, uh, in order to appease the gods, they sacrificed their, their children to, to idols. But I just, oh, it's just really, really troubling to hear that this week. As, as we see the, the state of our nation, no matter where we, as we, as we look and see some of the issues that are going on in society right now, and, and even though we may have slightly differing views in terms of, a, of an individual person, if I had to come in and fix this nation, you know, you know what, what, what would I do? What really needs to be done? I think we probably would have some differing views uh, in, even in our, our group here today. But, but when we see the things that are going on in our nation and, and the, the division that is there, and also the disturbing situations that are so far moved, removed from what God's Word says, this, this Creator, that is, is the only way to possibly explain that mankind is even here, as was brought out uh, in the sermonette. Does it lead us to worry? Does it lead us to worry? Does it take us to this state of, of worrying and concern? Uh, the, the four enemies of faith that Mr. Kylo talked about a couple, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, fear, doubt, a human reason, absent of God, uh, worry. Does, does it lead us to that? Or, or are we able to have peace of mind? I, I listen to, to NPR sometimes, as I've told you. I listen, uh, I'll listen to talk radio sometimes. I'll hear the sides that are out there and where, where they're saying. And, and it's, it's fascinating to hear both sides make comments like, I am afraid of what might happen to our country if we don't get out there and vote and get it. And, and this is, there is no more critical time ever than this upcoming uh, Tuesday's midterm elections in terms of the direction of our country. Get out there and vote uh, because your country and everything that you believe is at risk here. Uh, we hear that. We hear it from both sides. Uh, that, is, that is out there. One of the things Mr. Kylo said in, in that message, I don't know if you remember uh, or picked up on that, that quarterly message uh, comment that, uh, that he made, but he, he made this statement when he was talking about fear one of the enemies of faith, uh, he said how people, humans, can bolster and support us and encourage us to keep, help us keep from worrying, to, to help us uh, be strengthened. But, he's, but he also said with people, there are, there are individuals who will feed our fears. 
and I, and I see society around us, that uh, they, they don't know any better. They, they don't know the truth. They don't know the plan of God. And we, we, as we watch the news, as we see the news, we see uh, both sides feeding upon our fears, fears that we know that we as God's people should not have because of the truth that God, God has given us and what his plan is for all of mankind. So here we are back in society three weeks after the Feast of Tabernacles that pictures the righteous reign of Jesus Christ in spirit, body, form, coming down and ruling mankind, and our being alongside as king priests, priest kings, ruling and serving and, and, and helping all of mankind in a completely different government that is radically different than anything this nation would ever offer because we love God and we are citizens of his kingdom. And here we are three weeks later, and we're in the middle of this society. How, how do we, how do we, what is our takeaway from the feast as we're here. As has often been said, and boy, do we, do we not get this. I, I hope we all get it. I hope I get, this, is, this is a huge takeaway that is not a new takeaway, but it is a huge takeaway that I have to keep etched in my mind. The problems are, of our society are spiritual in nature and they can only be solved through spiritual means. We know that. We know that. But here we are. We're in the midst of things, and we're seeing this happen, and this happen, and this happen, and this happen, and evil getting more and more evil, and, and lines between good and evil, and where should we stand on this debate and on this debate? We are for, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven that is coming to this earth, and, and we are ambassadors uh, as such. We know that only a change from a heart of stone, as, as is talked about in, in the prophecies, in the Old Testament prophecies, a change from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh is something which only God can initiate. It's something that only God can do and will do on a massive scale when we come to this point of Jesus Christ's return to the earth, Satan being bound for a thousand years, and, and we're off to the races in a good way. Something which will only take place on a societal level with the return of Jesus Christ, period. Do we, three weeks out, as we're seeing all these things going on around us and, and the, the, the tension and the stress and how, how is this going to play out here with, with this latest midterm in terms of things going, do we, as we see all of that, are we able to step back and keep in a frame of mind that the societal changes that we, that, that, that we need to see take place can only take place with the return of Jesus Christ, period. So as a result, does, uh, does our life, does my life, does your life, does it center around that, that mindset, characteristics which we as representatives of that government now, we're the representatives of that, those, that change, that change of heart uh, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that, that's been initiated through God's Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, do, we, do we then model as representatives of that government, do we model that now? Do we model that in, in our interactions with, with those around us? 1 Peter 2, uh, we won't turn there, but it, it talks about that they, by, by witnessing our example, 
will glorify God in the day of their visitation, when their day of visitation comes. Some may have their day of visitation before Christ returns. Our, our key is, is to be representatives of that and, and to emulate the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Do those characteristics, do they, do they speak to our lives now? Do those characteristics of God, do they characterize you and me? What were your takeaways from the feast? What were my takeaways from the feast? Are there any turning points as a result of what we were were given this feast as that picture again that crystallized picture in our minds I am therefore resolved to do this what are your resolutions what were your resolutions as as you were leaving the feast and now three weeks out are are those resolutions still there Have, have you and I put put uh, certain details in place in our lives to, to, to work towards those re- resolutions? Or was it, oh, wow, it was a great feast. It was great. Well, we heard this, and this was really, really neat. And, and here we are, just back, back to the basics. Where, where are we on that? So I, I come now to uh, the, the passages that, that triggered uh, this, this thought. Let's start in Revelation 14. Revelation 14. The key passage is in Revelation 22. Remember, as, as we read Revelation, it, it, fascinating uh, prophecies here. As he's going back in time, he goes forward in time as, as the revelation of Jesus Christ comes to John. And, but, but interspersed throughout the book of Revelation, there are statements that Jesus Christ or, or an angel here or there is saying, hey, for you folks that are in the moment now, think about these things, do these things, have this in mind as we, as we go forward. And, and we'll, we'll talk about you know, some of those here uh, right now. This, this first triggered uh, a thought here in Revelation 14. Revelation 14 we're coming to two harvests. The, these harvests uh, come as, as we get close to the return of Jesus Christ and, and ultimately at the return of Christ. Of course, there are other harvests afterwards as we know the plan of God and uh, what happens in the millennium and what happens later in the great white throne judgment as is talked about in the uh, latter part of Revelation 20. But, but let's talk about these two harvests here in Revelation 14, as we, as we leave the feast and as we go forward in our lives. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Now, now what's the time frame of this, of this angel that's flying in the midst of heaven uh, and, and saying this everlasting gospel? What, what is the gospel? Well, the, the gospel, uh, Christ came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The, the, the whole discussion about the plan of God and, and the, the redemption of all of mankind, uh, salvation, uh, all of that. But he has this, this everlasting gospel because it is a gospel that starts at the very beginning with God as he created mankind. He wanted mankind to be a part of his family for eternity, to, to, to bring many sons to glory, to bring them into this state of, of dwelling uh, in, in eternity with him as, as 
we go forth into the new heavens and the new earth, as is talked about in Revelation 22. But he says this, this angel is, is flying across at, at some point here. This is uh, Revelation 14 is a bit of an inset chapter. It doesn't say exactly when this is happening, but, it, but it's in this end time here, which appears to be you know, leading up to the return of Christ. So this, this, everlast, uh, this, this angel flies in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, to every tribe, tongue, and people. And, and this angel, in, in saying this everlasting gospel, says with a loud voice, voice, fear God and give glory to him. You know, as we, we heard that sermonette today, what, what, do we, what do we come out of that? We come out of that, we come out of that fearing God, revering God. This is this great God that is created. It, it could not have happened any other way. Fear God, uh, fear God and, and worship him, as it says here. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and springs of water. So we've got ultimately, I say ultimately, the, the, judgment, the, the judgment that comes when Jesus Christ comes down to this earth or as the process of the events leading up to his return, uh, he, he judges, there is a judging of the earth. There is the wrath of God that's poured out uh, in, in the seven trumpets and in the seven last plagues in leading to that. There is a judgment that takes place. And as we've heard before, as Mr. Johnson has, has said uh, occasionally in, in his messages on judgment, judgment is, uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. Judgment can be a very good thing. It, 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 is, it is judgment. We, we are in a process of being judged now as, as the Israel of God, as the, the household of God. And, and judgment is a good thing, but, it, it, uh, but the judgment of God is right and true. So it says, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, verse 8, followed uh, saying, Babylon is fallen. It is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath, of the wrath of her fornication. It's all coming down. The whole system of this world, this, this world, as it says in 1 John 2, the, it's passing away in the lust thereof. This world, it, it's, it's not going, this that we see around us is not salvageable in its state. It must be transformed uh, at, uh, by Jesus Christ coming and, and healing everything. So he says, okay, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, then a third angel, verse 9, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. This, this wine of the wrath of God is poured out full strength into, in the, into the cup of his indignation. We see that evidenced as, as these, these seven, trumpet plagues, uh, seven trumpets and the final plagues are rolled out. It is the wrath of God coming upon mankind as mankind is judged and found lacking. Uh, during this time of their, of their existence here as 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 we lead up to the return of Christ. It says, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest nor day nor night who worship the beast in his image. Here they are uh, as, as all these things are culminating towards the return of Christ. Those that have 
that have given themselves over to the, the leadership of the beast and the false prophet, uh, they're, they're tormented. Uh, and, and we see in other places where it says as, as this happens, they're, they're, they're cursing God. They, they don't repent. They get angrier and curse God more. It's, it's a very tormenting time uh, for mankind as, as Christ is judging the earth leading up to his return. Uh, those who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. And look at verse 12. Here is the patience, or here is the, here is the steadfastness of the saints. This is, this is one of those statements that I, I think brings us back to where, yes, he's, he's talking prophecy of this is going to happen down near the, the, the end of things. But he's, he's also saying, okay, stop now, think about this. Are, are we as saints? Are, are, we, are we part of, of the body of Christ who, who are, you know, is going through this time or that may go through this time? Here's a little statement, a little nugget that we have to ask ourselves as a, as a takeaway, knowing what we know. Here is the steadfastness or the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. One of my uh, resolutions, again, uh, coming out of the feast is, do I have the steadfastness? Is there a, a depth of, of steadfastness that, that I'm, I'm building upon in my life as I'm getting older and deteriorating more and more? Is there a, a greater and greater, I am locked into this. I am locked into this way of life. This is the only way. This is, this is the only truth. This is my only goal is moving towards uh, the return uh, and being united with my older brother, Jesus Christ. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, the, the faith of Jesus Christ, the, the, the faith of God that we are to have faith in God and, and we are to develop because of God's calling and God's working in us the faith of God, the faith of Jesus Christ. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. You know, that, this, this goes against everything of, of human reason. Human reason is, is to, you know, this is life. This is, we, we've got to, I've got to live. I've got to do this. I've got to, I've got to protect this and this so that I can live as long as I possibly can. And he's, you know, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, step back. Here, Andy, and, and look, look at your life. Recognize this is, this is uh, a calling to which we have been called. We understand the plan of God, and there is a steadfastness that comes with that, and even a recognition of the temporary nature of this life that, oh, that I may be found faithful in God's eyes, that if I die uh, prior to Christ's return, I can look at my life and say, wow, that, that is a blessing. Precious in the Lord uh, is the death of his saints, as, as is talked about in Psalms. Can, can, I, can I step back and view life? Can I, can I view life right now as a 58-year-old? Can, can those of you who are 15 years old, can you step back now and view life through these lens? through the lens of God, the, the steadfastness of the saints, those who love and keep God's commandments the, and have the faith of Jesus Christ 
and realize that it is it it has always been this way. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors. They, they have run the race. They have run the race and they finished the race and they realize that in, in the midst of eternity, this life is a blip. And, and God gave them that blip and they ran that race in that blip, looking at in, into eternity of being with God and serving with God and Christ for all, you know, all into eternity. Uh, in, in this, this kingdom that's coming to earth, that was where it was, and that they, they, they are blessed, and that we as God's people can step back and say, yes, what, what a blessing that would be. We see, we see the, the heartaches and, and the challenges and the, the upheavals of life, and uh, I... I think a case in point is is the situation with the Kitts family, as as we've we've talked about. You know, I, you think I think of okay, how how would if I were uh, Bobby, uh, wife of Cody, and here we've got this this three year old child, uh, Mattia, that you know Cody and and she in, in their marriage uh, are are blessed with this this incredible blessing, and now now Bobby is in the state where she is, is, has got to make some decisions about how to go through life without, uh, without her husband that has been such a, a part of her life and, and such a part of, her, of, her, of their, their daughter's lives. Uh, how, how, can that, how, can, how can this be? How can this be true? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a huge tragedy for the family. It's a huge tragedy for, for, for Bobby. It's a huge tragedy for Mattia. But in, in what we know and what we understand, we have the ability, because of what God has given us in the knowledge of his truth, to, to maintain that perspective of, of having such love for Cody that, that Bobby and Mattia have, and that, and that will be Bobby's responsibility to help Mattia see this as Mattia grows and develops, that such love and outgoing concern for Cody, that, that he lived his life, he served God fully, and, and his race is finished. His race is finished. He, his next thought, will be stepping into eternity, serving God perfectly, as, as a person who is, who is, will see God as he is, who will be like him just as he is, as, as 1 John 3 says. Uh, that death has its sting, but God's people can, can pull back from that and, and see that, and that gives them hope and purpose to continue on in our little temporary blips of time lives that we have. Uh, it, it just it impacts every aspect of our lives. Uh, continuing in, in Revelation 14, he talks about two harvests to come. And I guess this is getting closer to what triggered this message. Because, because ultimately, brethren, it's a matter of are we going to walk in God's way or are we not? 
You know, are, are we going to fully commit to God in every aspect of our lives because he wants our all, our whole being? Uh, are we going to do that or are we not? That's what God, God wants to know. That's what God wants to see in this, this passage here of verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Is that happening? Are we, we, we say this over and over. Are, are we playing games with God in any way? Are we, are we saying, I'm going to dip my foot in this, and I know this isn't really the best place to dip my foot, but it feels kind of good, so I'm going to dip my foot here, and, and still put on these hats that represent, yeah, it, it's God's way of life. Are, are, we, are we fully in? Are we fully in as citizens of, of this kingdom that is coming? Or are we dipping our feet in other areas? It doesn't, it doesn't hold its, its, its claws on age. We can be 85 and be battling this thing of wanting to dip our feet into something that we shouldn't. It can be age eight. It, it doesn't matter. But God wants to know because ultimately, and this, this, isn't, this isn't a scare tactic. This, this is reality. Ultimately, there, there are, are harvests coming. And we don't act out of fear for what might happen if we're in the wrong harvest. We act out of, of a love of, of God's way of life and, and striving to go that way. But there will come a time when there is a harvest. Uh, and, and there will be two harvests. Let's look at that. Revelation 14, verse 14. I looked and behold a white cloud, and, and on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and, and, and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is speaking, as, as far as we can understand this, of, of, you know, similar to the Matthew 24, 31, the angels uh, reaping and gathering the, the elect from the four corners of the earth, gathered to, to be with Christ as Christ returns. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time uh, has come for, uh, for you, for, for Jesus Christ, to reap. So, verse 16, so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. But there, there is another reaping that takes place, the, the, the other side of it. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had the power over fire. And he cried, cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. That, that's coming. And, it, and when that comes, it says the, the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Uh, literally, as the margin renders a uh, stadia, about 184 miles in all. You know, some see this as a distance of, of that. Others, uh, as Barnes notes, says, uh, says it could be referring to square furlongs or, or square miles as, as in a pool of blood. The main point is it's, it's huge. It, it's, it's huge. And th there are these, these two harvests, in a sense, that come. That, that, that is a time that's coming for mankind. Uh, of course, 
again, I, I think we step back and we understand the plan of God. That's, that's the wrath of, of, of God, the wrath of the Lamb as the Lamb returns before the, the healing begins to take place. Uh, but, but there are those, those two harvests that are coming. Brethren, where, where, where are we in that? Are, are, we, are, we fully, are we fully here? Are we fully in the patience or the steadfastness of the saints who love the commandments of God and, and, and possess the faith of Jesus Christ, recognizing the temporary nature of this life, and as a result, we are fixed on what's ahead of us. We're fixed on where we need to keep our mindset as we go forward. Uh, we're fixed on all of the, the, the elements that we see coming at us that, that we are striving to, to be prepared for. As, as Mr. Kylo talked about, Kylo talked about in, in his Enemies of Faith message, that we, we know these things are coming. The time to prepare is now. To prepare or how are we going to handle these so now we get to the, the key passage that, that I wanted to read. It's in Revelation 22. As we, as we look at these, these, these two harvests, uh, elements uh, leading up to the return of Christ, as, as, we, mentioned, as we mentioned earlier, is there are these little statements that, that Christ makes interspersed in, in this this entire prophecy that spans uh, every single chapter of, of Revelation. And, and here he is, Revelation 21 and 22, just talking about uh, after, after the, the second death, after the lake of fire, even death and Hades being cast into the lake of fire. So then uh, God himself comes down and dwells with mankind, uh, and he makes all things new. So that's the beginning of going out into eternity uh, in, in a forward direction. But, but then he makes some little statements in Revelation 21 and 22 that, that speak of a, a, a time of, in a, in a sense, a, a galvanizing time. And I, I, I wonder uh, the degree to which we are nearing that, that time of, of either being galvanized in God's way of life as his people, as we have this time that we look and we see, man, how, how much longer is this going to go on? How much longer is, 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 are things going to continue before it just snaps and then all these things happen leading up to the return of Christ? How, how much longer till God lets, lets this go and, and, and cranks things out? Uh, notice the, the passage here as, as he makes this statement in Revelation 22. He's talked about the, the pure water, river of water of life, a, a spiritual river, clear as, the, as crystal, uh, all these uh, things about this tree that yields all of its uh, different fruits, uh, just speaking of, of life and light and reigning forever and ever. And then we come to verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. So he said to me, these words, these words of, of all that is that he's talked about, and, and, and I think as he's going forward in what he says, these words are, are true and fa are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So he says, as he, as he tells them there, as John records that, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So John says, I, I saw and I heard these things, and, and you know, taking all this in, he said, I fell down to worship before the feet of this angel who showed me these things. 
And as we know, of course, the angel, uh, angels are ministering servants. Uh, they, they are not to be worshipped, and, and the angel reminds John of that. He said to me, see that you do not do that. Don't, don't be bowing down and worshipping me, for I am your fellow servant, as the book of Hebrews tells us. I'm your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. As, as we come out of the feast and come away from the feast and with, with a recognition in our own lives, it, does this speak of you? I worship God. That's what I worship. I worship God. I don't worship anything that this life can offer that's temporary. I worship God. I keep the words of this book. Verse 10, he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book like, like had been done with, in Daniel's time. He says, it said it would be opened at the time of the end, and we, we, we get Daniel now uh, because it's been opened. But do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And so here's, here's the statement. This, this statement has fascinated me because, you know, God, God's all about repentance, and, and you see, we've talked about this before, but you, you see these in these movies where, you know, Darth Vader, he's just bad, he's bad, he's bad, he's bad, he's bad. And at the very end, what's he do? He picks up the emperor, throws him in the, in the uh, whatever that thing is, and just, electric, he's done. Uh, so, so in the end, Anakin, uh, Darth Vader is great because he lived his whole life of evil, 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 and in the last, uh, what, uh, 10 seconds of his life, he did something good. Uh, it's, that just ain't the way it works, brethren. We know that. It, the, way, the way it works is God calls us, and we, we yield to that, and then we spend our lives in steadfastness, striving to continue to keep him and his way and his plan at the forefront of our minds. And we battle this nature uh, all the way through. And we're, we're ready to take on the battle. We want that battle because we want God to help us see how to become more and more like him because that's the goal. So we're, we're in that battle. We're in that fight. Uh, and, and he makes this statement. He was unjust. Let him be unjust still. You know, there, there is a point, it, it seems to be what he's saying here, there's a point at which it's done. You know, this, this person has set his life, this, this, this woman has set her, there, there, there comes a time of it, of it setting, setting, and, and setting, setting in. He was unjust, let him be unjust still at, at this point as we're nearing the return of Christ. He's filthy, let him be filthy still. This, this is what he has determined, this is what she has determined in her life. Let them be, at some point that's going to happen. At some point there are going to be these, these reapings, uh, the, these harvests. We know ultimately those who have, have, have been given God's truth and have understood God's truth and have accepted God's truth and have yielded the fruit of God's truth to turn and, and go away from that you know, and, and say, no, I, I know what it is and I don't want it. I'm going here. I'm going in this direction. At some point, it sets. It sets and, and, and it's done. You know, they wake up and as, as we read in, in Revelation 20 at the end, they're, they're cast in the lake of fire. Uh, now is the time uh, because at some point it sets. Because notice the next statement that he says, he who is righteous, 
Let him be righteous still. The, the steadfastness. Uh, don't turn from that. God is with us. We give God the glory for everything good that is done. It is, it is, uh, it is he and Christ who are living in us that, that give us that righteousness and that we're striving to walk in that way. Let he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. Let, and he who is holy, let him be holy still. I think, I think it's interesting that he would put that in there because it, it's getting back to this, this thing of God wants to know where we stand with him. Where do we stand? Are, am I all in or, or am, I, am I into the filthiness? Am I into the unjust? Am I into the, the, the things of Revelation 21, which is a, in, in, a, uh, in a sense... Uh, Revelation 22:11 is a follow-up to the statement in Revelation 21. Look across the page, if you will, as we see it here. Here he's talking about, I am going to, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am he who overcomes. I'm giving everything to. I'm giving this, this person, this human being that is, has been changed to, to, to live through eternity with me. I will be his God and he will be my son and he, and he shall inherit everything, all things. That, that's what God is giving. But, but he says, in a sense he's saying, but he who's filthy, let him be, let him be filthy. He who is unjust still, let, let him, if he's going to go that way, he's going to go that way. Because it's, it's clear here in Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, do, do, do I believe? Do I believe what God is saying? Do I believe to the point that it impacts my life in, in the right direction? The abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters. Uh, covetousness is idolatry. Think about that. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are two harvests. There are two harvests. There is the harvest where he gathers his elect and brings them into that, and then ultimately this other, this other harvest. I, I don't want this harvest, this, this, this other harvest in verse 8 for me, and I don't want it for any of you, brethren. As, as we reflect on uh, these things today, I would ask us to step, step away from the feast as we are back in the world and ask ourselves, where are we on this? Where are we on this scale? Where are we as God's people? Uh, and, and are we, as Christ said, uh, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The, the night is coming when no one can work. There, there is coming a period of darkness upon this earth with when the beast power and the false prophet begin to, to take on the kind of power that they're going to take, uh, which will be a very, very trying time for, God, uh, for God's people. Now, now is the time to galvanize our, our approach towards life, our approach to what's important in this life, what's truly important, and what is as 1 Corinthians uh, 3 tells us, is wood, hay, and stubble. Let's go there. First Corinthians 3. Mr. Solomon talked about some turning points uh, that he mentioned seven, and, and I, uh, I'll just ask us to reflect on these uh, 
as, as a post-feast. He was saying, uh, make these uh, elements of turning points in our own lives as we move into the feast. I, I would ask us to think about this uh, after the feast. Uh, one is, uh, the feast is kept to the Lord. Are our lives kept to the Lord? Is this Sabbath day today kept to the Lord? It, he told us to, to focus on rejoicing with a purpose about what is, what is coming uh, in terms of Christ's reign on the earth. As we go forward uh, three weeks out from the feast, are, are we rejoicing in our lives with a purpose? Because we know what's ahead and, and the, the rejoicing that we can have in the trials that we face because we know what is coming. One of the things he said as well is, uh, plan to endure any inconvenience as true Christians. I thought that was kind of strange as we prep for the feast. And I thought, well, yeah, yeah, we always have situations that happen at the feast, things that don't go our way. I don't know if you had, had those. Uh, Lisa and I, at one point, we felt, you know, Lisa got sick at the beginning of the feast, so she wasn't even really able to spend time with, with Jack until like day six. So we, did, we didn't plan for that. Uh, but but it was, it was an inconvenience that, that we faced, and it was a bit of a letdown, at least, initially. But, uh, you know, one of the things, but we worked through it, and she worked through it, and we had a really good time as the, as the feast went on. But plan to endure any inconveniences as true Christians. In this year ahead, what inconveniences will come upon us? Are we, are we ready? Are we planning to endure those uh, knowing that on a physical level, any number of things could happen this next year. We recognize that if our minds are set on what's truly uh, critical, then, then we'll be able to endure that. Uh, let your light shine. Get to know the brethren. One of the things that we've seen with COVID in, in some respects is coming back from COVID, there are brethren that are not, that are not connecting, that are not reconnecting. Uh, and, you know, I understand that the thing with health issues and, and this and that that, that would, could prevent that. But those that don't, there are some that are not reconnecting. They, they've checked out. That's not good. That's, we, we, are, we are a body and we've got to connect. And there are brethren that are, are really, really connecting. Where are you on that spectrum? Uh, I think that's a fair question to ask ourselves as the body of Christ. Are we really seeking to grow and endure and, and, and plan and, and taking in of, of, of the messages and taking in of God's words? Are we asking God to help us turn from anything uh, that, that is, is something that's, that's not what it should be? All, all of those kinds of things represent turning points. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, do, do we recognize the hay and the stubble, and do we recognize the silver and the gold and the precious, uh, precious stones? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, for no other foundation can one lay than that which is laid, uh, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's the critical foundation as, uh, on, on which our lives have been built through God's calling. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Brethren, we're going into fire and some of us are, are in that fire right now. And, and God in that and his love for us is 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 using that to test our work, to test what, what kinds of things in our lives are, are really of value, of real meaning, that really drive us in why we live, 
or are these things of, of wood, hay, and stubble? God, help me see the wood, hay, and stubble in my life is something that we, we, we need to pray. There's something that I need to pray about. Help me to see those and help me to remove that so that what is left is what is built on, on the precious, precious uh, things of God, the things that are, are permanent. Let's turn finally to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. The things that are, that are permanent, the, the character of God in us, the love of God in us, and, and something else as we go forward. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, and as though God were pleading through us, Paul says here, we implore you, uh, be, recon- uh, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin, speaking of Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. These are elements of what are the, are the things that are lasting, the things to which we must commit as we go forward, becoming the righteousness of God in him. Brethren, what, 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 what are your takeaways? My, my big takeaway is, is I need to make it my all to become the righteousness of God. It's not my own righteousness. It is the righteousness of God. And that only comes by keeping that perspective of seeing what is truly, truly important in this life. Let's encourage one another because we're going to go through some trials. The fire is coming. And, uh, and the fire is there for many of us. The fire is there right now for the, the Kitts family. Let's recognize uh, those fires for one another. Let's encourage one another. And let's, let's keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds fixed, just fixed on what is truly of value. It'll carry us through. It'll carry us through into eternity.